the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. Greetings and welcome, everybody, to this, the 50th episode of AV Nation TV's Connected 55-0. It's been an amazing ride, and I love bringing the content to you, and hopefully you guys like watching it, so uh, definitely send some feedback and let us know. But 50, and I'm sitting to you here from uh, uh, my suite at uh, CES Conference 2023 in Las Vegas, where uh, I was lucky enough to interview a number of analysts and industry people, uh, walked around the show floor a little bit, not as many products as there were concepts this year. So not a lot of gadgets to show you, but I will show you, we'll talk to people, we'll talk about their opinions, we'll talk about what's going on, a lot of interesting different themes. So um, it's a lot of conversation, um, a lot of really good information here. So stay tuned with us and I think you'll enjoy it. The business, business publication. Obviously, we traded with a lot of automotive interests. Oh, okay. But not me. We'll do it. So we are here at CES, and now we're in a two-shot. That's wonderful. <laughs> the camera is uh, um, uh, uh, smarter than we are in terms of talking, so hopefully it'll give you the right shot all the time. Um, I'm here with Doug Money, uh, who is now showing off a logo on his shirt. What's that logo from? Uh, Fiber Broadband Association. I'm editor-in-chief of the um, Fiber Forward magazine for the Fiber Broadband Association. That's terrific. So we're all things. We're about all things broadband. So do you remember what number CES is this of yours? I have lost count. I think I went to my first one probably sometime around the, the turn of the century, young man. Um, so it's it's probably been a couple decades at the CES. Oh, I, I know I'm. I, I think I know I'm over twenty. I think I'm under thirty, but I'm not sure. I might be over thirty as well. Um, you know, it's, it's it's how much more coloring I have to put in my beard every year to know. What, how much longer I've been here. Um, what's been your best CES experience ever? Hmm. I would have to, you know, last year was pretty good. And I know that's a radical uh, thought, but last year was pretty good because there were, uh, there's nobody around. So it was easy to get from point A to point B. Um, that was a good experience. I think my other good experience was um, for the first couple that I went to where the show was, you know, it's comfortable, you know, me and 100,000 other friends that hadn't gotten to the mega 180K type of uh, situations where you had to wait an hour and a half for cab lines. So, hello, Mark. Hi. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with you, um, tell me who you are, what you do, where you work, what your life's like. Sure. I, I run the AV practice for SM&W. And uh, I'm here at the show looking for a technology that is in the consumer space that would be relevant to our clients. And those clients can be corporate clients, uh, hospitality, um, even medical equipment. Uh, and all those areas are going to see outcomes percolate up from this consumer space uh, that may be relevant to them. And we've seen that over the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. I've been coming here, we were talking about it before, probably close to 30 years at this point, where, where this is like our 18 to 24 month look ahead into what's going on in technology. And we'll see something, 
I know this happened to me personally. I'll see something that I've never seen before at the show, and then like about a year, year and a half later, we'll see it in one of the stores. My mom say, "Hey, look at that!" I say, "Oh, that's nothing. I saw that uh, yeah. you know, a year and a half ago." That, that's that's the key thing, Dave. Is that we know from the experience of being at the show several times the most fantastic products that you really want to get your hands on are still light years away, right? And we're not looking at those specific products more as this trend. Uh, for example, I think the uh, automotive industry, right? Well, it's not really related to corporate, but some of the things they're doing in terms of the dashboard, the user interface, if you're traveling at 75 miles an hour in a car, what are you going to look at? How are you going to look at it? You, Even though you're not traveling that fast in a meeting room, you still are thinking through this, how you use it, read things, how you use the text. So it's all becomes relevant even in these in these other markets. And we were in... Um... We were here in Las Vegas early. My family had come out with me for New Year's Eve. Lord knows why they wanted to do it here. But, um, you know, very hard to get cars. So by the time we picked up our rental car, all they had were like the real luxury cars left. So I, it took me a good two days to figure out how to use the dashboard on a car that I hadn't rented before. Which menu is it? How do, I asked the, the guy, I was looking for the lever to adjust the wheel, and he showed me where the button was. So, so yeah, it's a lot of the what's intuitive, what's user, what, what kind of user interfaces, what we do, what we've done for years in rooms is now relevant to how, how can we do it quickly without you know, breaking concentration from the road. Or maybe we are. We're putting a car on autonomous drive, which they're all talking about now, and, you know, playing with the radio. It, is it a car? I mean, what we talk about AV, the definition of AV, in the car space, it's really now a glorified computer, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a lot like our distribution with, with technology in any other platform. Micro-size the spaces, um, make it uh, con consistent, reliable, effective, uh, that, that's that's going to transcend. And one last car thing, again, with this rental car, um, we were pulling it into the spot, you know, against the column, and I was going very slowly, as I normally would, and I was trying to get up as close to the column as I could because the back sticks out. And when it got to a certain point, it wouldn't let me go anymore. It put the brakes on. So you're too close to the column. So, yeah, these things are now smarter, um, and that's one of the, the, the pieces of technology. We've had smart technology for 10 years, but is the smart technology actually becoming wise? to what's around it. Yeah, and I'm going to go a little further deeper in that because I saw this, uh, one of the honorees in technology, I think one of the winners in innovation is Deere uh, for their tractor and it's an autonomous tractor, right? Okay, so, what? okay, we don't really think we're going to engage with autonomous tractors, but what's behind or under the hood is NVIDIA, which is developing a platform and we call this infrastructure as a service. So this cloud platform that allows uh, the developers to create both the user experience and the physical devices at the same time concurrently. Uh, so, so where you previously would be physically making the components to make the car, because of the amount of software and tech that's in there, you need to ride both concurrently and understand how the user experience is gonna be and develop all of the dashboards in parallel uh, to deliver it to market. So seeing companies that are in the, like the multimedia space like NVIDIA, provide this opportunity for these manufacturing com uh, companies to develop their products shows us the synergy and shows us the value of, of looking at this larger picture of where of where cloud and platforms can be subscribed to can be utilized where you may not have in your smaller businesses the full ability to build these products out because you don't have the arsenal of tools. Almost like the way uh, Amazon you know, would have their cloud services and be able to you know, have subscriptions to that service uh, built out. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah.
So I am here with my friend and colleague, Shannon Schmoon. Shannon, hi. Welcome to CES hi. in Las Vegas. Thank you. So all those secrets that we couldn't talk about when you were on the show with me the last time, you can talk about now, right? We had a huge uh, press release out this morning. Absolutely. Today we announced our Voyager 360 series, um, as well as the Voyager 360 Plus, which comes with a smart charging case and an LED touchscreen. But uh, we announced a number of uh, HP devices as well today, right, that, that are being shown off, yes. new displays, new technologies for yeah. uh, eye gaze adjustment. Anything you want to say about any of those? New PCs, yes. I think, you know, as far as the full suite of solutions that were announced today, um, it really spans hybrid work solutions and sustainability um, across the board. And so a lot of really exciting stuff. And if you haven't checked it out yet, um, just go to the HP News um, room and you can view more information there. So it's not just the headsets, but tell us what's what's unique about those headsets. Yeah, so these are our um, wireless earbuds, and um, basically they come with two earbuds that have um, sensors on each side of the the buds. Um, you can also touch swipe to adjust volume. Um, the case itself, the smart charge case, is very cool. If you can go in, you can um, access Poly Lens download it. Um, you can adjust the settings and personalize and customize to, you know, the way you want to use your case and um, manage the status calls, mute. Um, you get up to 15 hours between the earbuds and the case. So you can just go on the road or, you know, if you're in the office or at home, you don't have to worry about it. You can charge the case. It has a USB port. But what's also cool and um, is unique to this case is it has an audio 3.5 um, millimeter audio input. So if you're traveling, you can plug into in-flight entertainment systems and, um, you know, basically just listen to music or take calls or whatever you need well, to I, do. I love that, that if you're, if you're actually looking at an in-flight system, there have been a few that experiment with Bluetooth and they don't work. Mm -hmm. um, so now you can actually just plug the case in to both the USB port to charge on, on, on at least some of the uh, transcontinental flights and international flights, and you can plug the 3.5 millimeter jack in, and now you can be using your earbuds uh, while looking at the in-flight entertainment system. That is a really yeah. cool feature. Yeah, absolutely. And then not to mention, they're just super portable, right? You can just throw them in your pocket, in your purse, in your bag, and take them on the go. Do we know when they're going to be generally available and what the rough price is going to be? Yeah, they're starting at $299. And the exact time frame, it will likely be closer to Q2, um, but as soon calendar Q2, mm -hmm, but so. as early as as possibly March in America. March, so. April time frame. Yeah. Okay. As we get this set up, and uh, we're using the auto technology and the, the Poly R3 camera. Great. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm good, David. How are you doing? I'm, I'm terrific. Paul, introduce yourself to people who may not know you. I'm Paul Erickson. I am the founder and principal of Erickson Strategy and Insights, which is a consultancy that I set up uh, to go independent after almost 20 years of being an industry analyst for a lot of notable companies like IHS Market, Omdia, Parks Associates, and MPD Display Search. 
and this is probably my 15th CES. Very nice. Uh, so I'm a veteran, much like David. And David, I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw you in person. Was it four years ago, maybe? Oh, it had to be ago? longer than that. It had to be, you know, probably at an Infocom going back 10, 12 years Infocom. in person. Wow. I mean, we've wow. seen each other a lot. Yes, I know, I know. It's the world that we're in now. Did, did I run into you at ISE four years back? I don't know. Well, definitely Infocom in Orlando, I think. Yeah, well, you know what? The truth of the matter is you get to a certain age in the industry when your <laughs> hair is this color and you, yes. have, you have to tint your beard that more people know you than you know. Yes. So I don't remember everybody that I run into, but I always smile and shake hands and, and do that. So, so we were at CES, being honest, we're recording this on what the heck day is it? Wednesday. Yes. Um, this is media day two, technically. Day one was yesterday. We've already been through a bunch of press conferences today. I was at the 8 a.m. LG conference. Panasonic had their conference. Bosch had their conference. And and one of the things that came up, and I do want to talk to you about this, um, we're starting to see a lot of ESG, environmental social governance, being talked about um, at the conference. Instead of throwing around the buzzwords that were here for last year's shorter show and smaller show and the year before we were all digital, we were metaverse and blockchain and NFTs and crypto. Those, those are still there, but they're sort of like under a blanket sideways. Everybody's talking about sustainability, diversity and inclusion. Um, uh, the, the, the ESG, all these pieces, and they're taking it seriously. Right. We were talking before about you know how important it is uh, for, for retention of employees and recruiting employees, how important it is when you're trying to sell to a company, how sustainable your products. It looks like after many years of just babbling about it, the industry is now finally taking sustainability seriously. They are. Uh, and it is refreshing to see you know the commitment from – it could be as fundamental as uh, – let me back up. I was going to say – Versus some of the grander efforts that you see played out in, you know, what's spoken about in terms of how companies are changing policy and what they're doing in manufacturing. Uh, sometimes I like to look at the uh, commitment to a certain initiative by looking at how, at the smallest levels, like how are you seeing this permeate a company's products or culture? And it could be as simple as looking at Samsung's remote controls that are, you know, solar recharging, you know, in, in different ways where companies are committing R&D. They're committing, they're committing spend towards not just the implementation um, of, you know, not just towards being a better company in terms of sustainability, DEI, um, governance, ESG, not just at the corporate level, cultural, cultural level, cultural level, sorry, I've had too much caffeine, um, but also at the product level. Right, committing that R&D spend. And normally, like CapEx, committing spend is the area where it's hardest to get companies to really do something. Um, and, I, and I think that we see that in a lot of products that are coming out now where companies are looking at, and we can see if you agree with this, uh, I think companies have looked at a lot of these things that they looked at previously as nice-to-haves or intangibles or these annoying costs, you know, potential cost centers where the past couple years, looking at how the state of employment and employ employability changed over the pandemic, and people were working remotely and people deciding uh, that they didn't necessarily have to be committed to a certain company or a certain location, that it, it brought this front and center for companies where they had to start concentrating on the intangibles because people started looking for the intangibles in their jobs, now feeling that they were freer to move to jobs that 
were more fulfilling or, you know, aligned better with their interests and so on. And so to me, it seems like a lot of that has finally filtered back to the employers where they realize that employees are an important resource, right? That keeping your employees happy or just I mean, they're, 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 always, they're always happier if you pay them more, right? But I think sometimes if you, if you get to more fundamental ways in which they can be kept happy or kept fulfilled for the long term, it gets to a lot of these things that, that tie into values, they tie into principles. Uh, and, you know, a lot of what you're seeing with sustainability, DEI uh, and ESG, it is in that direction. Uh, so it is an interesting trend to see, amongst others that we'll mention right. know, shortly. And and we do want to talk about the economic impact of that because you know, in addition to just being good for the sake of being good and and being attractive to to customers and to employees, you know, we're now creating products that are more powerful or just as powerful but using less power. Right. And that adds up. You know, when you have hundreds or thousands of laptops or compute sitting somewhere and you're using less power, um, the, the packaging is smaller, so you're saving on the packaging materials, which is good for the environment, but you're also increasing the amount of product per pallet, as we talked about before in this. Right. These are all turning into cash, especially in a recession. That It adds up. It's, it, it really has a, a, a long tail on it. It does. And I think, uh, you know, hard, hard times are difficult times. You know, it's a double-edged sword. And, one, and on, one, on one edge of that sword is clearly difficulty, you know, uh, challenging conditions, a reduced profitability and so on. But the other side of that sword is that it has to make you sharper, right? You have to execute better. It makes you concentrate on all the ways in which probably you were doing so great before in your existing business that you just ignored all the different areas where probably money was leaking out or you were not doing well or you were not taking care of your employees, for example. Uh, so I think that through every challenge, there's also the opportunity to to reinvigorate the company to to rethink certain things, to become better, sharper, uh, better combatant as a competitor. So I think, you know, we're seeing that now where people are noticing, yes, we can do more sustainably. You know, we can also be better at packaging. We can be smarter at packaging. Uh, we can actually do both. We can, uh, we can create sustainable packaging and we can fit more pieces per container or we can spend less money on logistics on the weight of packaging, if we just get smarter about how we package products, keep it more compact, maybe reduce some of the excess, you know, glossy, fancy materials, but we, we stick to fundamentals, we make the packaging attractive, but we also make it uh, as small and as compact while still protective as possible. And also the, the, um, the products themselves have a much, more, a much higher quantity of recycled materials in there. You know, I know HP, uh, you know, announced their new monitor plastics, stands today yep. that, that are, you know, aluminum. The aluminum is from recycled aluminum cans. The plastics are from recycled plastics from a lot of manufacturers. So, so again, it, it looks like this is a trend as opposed to just being a buzzword that we've had in the past that companies are really taking seriously and employees and customers are taking seriously. Yeah, and I hope it continues into the future because, you know, we Right now, we're in uncertain economic times, let's say, for the next year or two or undetermined amount of time. And so companies are trying to execute smarter, sharper, being more efficient. Um, will that change when good times come back and they're making money hand over fist? I hope not. Right. I hope that 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 type of cognizant, you know, uh, attention to things like, again, sustainability mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, power conservation and what and so on. I think that 
it's a question in my mind, but I'm hopeful that that doesn't go away, right? That that stays in their collective consciousness uh, into perpetuity, that that's just simply a part of the consumer electronics industry going forward. Fingers crossed that companies are doing things for the good of all mankind. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, one of the trends that I've been watching so far today is this concept of, of the importance of recurring revenue. And, you know, we understood, you know, for, for years, we were talking about this before, for years, you know, people were talking about cutting the cord, you know, not paying the cable bills anymore, Chris, so they're going to get everything over the top. You know, over the top is just as expensive now in terms of all the services that we have, you know. Uh, so, but, but it's extending past the things that we were expecting. It's now, you know, we were talking before, auto, automotive, automobile makers are now unbundling like airlines were. You know, you, they're charging you monthly for heated seats. Or it, is, I assume this is a trend that you've seen and that we're going to continue to see. Yes, uh, I have some uh, quite a few interesting opinions on this. But, you know, I cover, as, as you probably know, like, you know, my shift over the past years, I, I've covered streaming services extensively and the, the uh, connected entertainment space. And, and it's been interesting looking at how that, whole business has changed over the past few years, especially, you know, being here at the show, you look at the Samsung, LG, a lot of the TV makers, um, you know, the they're, the new, the they're the new gatekeepers, by the way, yes. if there's a platform Agreed. on there or not, you know, it's, it's no longer the MSOs. Now it's the, that's where they see the money. Over. And, you know, so I, my, my opinion's always been that whoever controls the final point of entertainment consumption, you know, who, who aggregates at that point, um, they're the ultimate gatekeeper. And so we see, the TV business now being defined not by how many things you sell, right? I mean, it, it's still that's a still an important factor, but it's not the per unit revenue at the time of sale that really is the, the long money, right? The long money uh, for somebody like a Samsung or a Roku, um, you know, who sells the platform, right? They they sell devices. Roku, for example, they don't they're not really in as much of the device business anymore in terms of share of revenue that comes from devices versus platform licensing, but Ultimately, you get long tail revenue from selling that measurement data, the advertising, you know, everything else that comes from having that presence on a device because you control that operating system, right? It's your operating system. And so that's the long money in TVs. And, you know, we see shifts in power even within advertising, right? The traditional heavyweights of advertising um, and in measurement, they're now having to deal with the fact that. You know, Samsung's ad business that they ad and measurement data business that they stood up, Vizios and so on. They were also selling that glass level data to the Nielsen's of the world uh, because now that's almost the ground truth, right? To figure out what people are doing on that device, that TV, whether it's gaming, watching a video, watching YouTube, uh, and it's immensely powerful. Um, tell everybody, if they're not familiar with you, who you are and what you do. Okay. Uh, my name is Adrian Cottrell. Uh, I'm primarily known in the AV industry as the editor of Daily Do, which is a blog. Uh, I'm a journalist by trade, uh, but I put on my own events in order to make money in this world, primarily based in the billboard advertising ad tech industry. So we tend not to do AV events anymore, but uh, ad tech and billboard events. Got it. So why are you at CES? Why have you been to CES? Well, it's a good question. I'm here at CES because I like Vegas. I'm Probably one of those weird people who likes she likes Vegas. That's some well, rare honesty for my yeah, interview guests. Yeah, well, I like saying how I like the surrounding area. Vegas is a great place to come. Not you can you can stay away from the Strip and have a good time. Um, but I've been coming to CES since 1992. 
I missed the year that the year that we was one year we didn't do COVID. Oh yeah, two we years. didn't do COVID in two thousand uh, twenty one. Twenty one. Okay, but you and I were both here last year. Yes, we've got special badges of honor as we were here. Well, last I have to year. give you one. Don't let me forget. Okay, I won't forget. Uh, yeah, so nineteen ninety two. I've been here every year since then. Um, like you, I think it's one of the best shows to gauge what's coming up in the industry. Maybe sometimes a couple of years ahead. Uh, it's a great place to meet people. A uh, great place to do business. Um, it's grown beyond. When I came in nineteen ninety two, I was working for Intel Corporation. And I was sent here to look at whether Intel should actually exhibit. And of course, if you remember the early 90s, it was Bill Gates and Microsoft. And mm-hmm. um, I think Bill Gates probably did three or four keynotes in a row back in the 90s. But it was a show where it was a, it was still a car, not a car show. It's turned into a car show in the last few years, of course. Um, but it certainly had all the hi-fi car radio bits and pieces with lots of semi, semi-naked models, shall we say on car boot, boot, bonnets, boots. Thankfully, that's sort of that's lame, thank yeah. goodness. But certainly in the early 90s, that, that was the show it was. It was very consumer electronic or, uh, uh, oriented. So, oriented. Um, and of course, it, it caught the boom with the PC industry, with Windows, which is why Gates was here so often. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've come back every year since. What's your best CES memory or best CES experience? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You should have prompted me for that one. Best CES experience. Well, we're not live. Um, I can always edit this. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, best CES experience. Uh, I don't. I think. Well, one of the years we. I actually was employed uh, by a exhibitor to do a broadcast booth, um, and I we, we we stole the idea from uh, Tim uh, AV Nation. Quite quite boldly stole the idea of having a broadcast booth and they employed myself and a few others to, to have a stand and we invited luminaries to the stand that was probably 2019 so that's a that's very that's a very egotistical best moment but it was the greatest thing because people came to see us and we probably had 50 or 60 interviews over three or four days people would come to the stand, and we were oh. just there as you know as as a as a tokenish thing because somebody wanted people to come and visit their stand um it was weird we were in the LVCC and the South Hall, which I think is still under renovation. Um, we're in the drone area. We had nothing to do with drones, but we had. I remember. We had drones, and there was the the <clears throat> the robot that plays uh, ping table pong. ping pong. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a good memory. In terms of best things we've seen, um, again, the years blur into one another. There's been some good keynotes. I remember John Chambers. We met him through a yeah. friend of ours. We went to his suite and saw him before his keynote. Um, met him. He was still at Cisco then. I think it was probably the year before he retired mm-hmm. as the CEO of Cisco. That was a particularly good year. But that was because, you know, we, again, it's, it's, it was a personal thing. We had front row seats. We met John Chambers before. He did the keynote, blah, blah, blah. I remember. And it was a, mm-hmm. it was a good memory. Um, in terms of the best things ever shown, again, you, you, we've lost a lot. The Bill Gates things, when people were standing up and launching a new version of Windows, that meant a lot. We don't seem to have that now. I mean, the, the keynotes these days. Well, are- it's also, the, it's, it's, and maybe software and Windows is a bad example, but we've lost the tangibility. We've lost the tangible nature of things that are at the show. There are still a few things that you can put your hands on and say, look, see, I have this, I own Correct. this. But one of the biggest things for CES for me was seeing a piece of technology and then like a year, year and a half down the line, you know, my family or my friends would see it in the store and say, oh, I saw that yeah. a year ago. <laughs> it's, that, it's that 18 to 24-month cycle. Correct. You got a lot of embedded technology this year. You got a lot of possible technology. There are a lot of hype streams. You remember mm-hmm. what was going on with Metaverse last year? Yeah. And, and, you know, now it's kind of fallen back in. I don't think you're going to hear 
you know, a crypto or NFT this year. Probably this not. Year. It might be around, but they'll be embarrassed. Yeah. Um, well, Metaverse is a little bit like VR was. You can remember, go back probably, what, seven, eight, nine, ten years? VR was the big thing. VR, VR, VR. Uh, and again, you haven't heard anything about that. Well, VR missed its consumer exit. It's got some terrific, and when I was talking to Mark Peterson earlier, it's got some terrific applications for industry. Mm -hmm, for sure. Niche applications yep. for military. But, you know, if, if, if three years of lockdown isn't going to be able to kick off a technology at the consumer, it's never going to make it. Yep. Same thing with 3D TVs, which are really popular for two or three years until the industry realized that people won't put on additional glasses in their own home that they don't need. Correct. Well, we had in the UK, we had a big hype from our big um, TV broadcaster, Sky, and they were expecting people to watch 3D soccer, 3D football. And you're not going to put your goggles on having a pint of beer in the pub. You know, if you're not going right. to do it at home, you're not going to do it on the park. Exactly. So yeah. so there, there are things like that that get overhyped and miss in Metaverse, I believe, is one of them. Yeah. I think we'll start to see things of that type of connection in the cloud, but it won't be called Metaverse. I think right. that was a hype train that's coming is yeah. is waning this yeah. year. Any other technologies that you've seen over the years or that you're expecting to see this I year? I think um, I've, I've always, I've always poo-pooed what people call holograms because people's understanding of a hologram I'm, I'm, I'm smiling I'm saying this because I know I'm going to talk about Star Trek with you now. No, no, is, no, no. Well, you're going to have to. But, you know, holograms. Holograms mean different things to different people. Um, but they're starting to sort of take off. There's quite a few companies. There's probably about a dozen people uh, doing hologram stuff here. Proto, they call it holograms. They call it hologram. Uh, the big one is Proto, of course, which has got lots of investment from lots of well-known U.S. industry celebrities, if you like. Uh, Harry Mandel. Is it Harry Mandel, the, the comedian guy? Howie. Howie Mandel is a big investor in this, and there's a lot of other pop stars and things who've invested in the company. They're here. They're actually at, actually at one of one of the investors' sites, I think, at the Aviation Hangar. But they're here. They're doing some demonstrations and bits and pieces. There are a number of other hologram people who are uh, letting us be holograms. So if we go to a certain booth, they could make us a hologram, make us hologram of ourselves, right, which I'm that. looking forward to doing. So I'm going to, I think there's about a dozen. I'm going to try and visit all of those. And I'll write a little report about the hologram stuff because I think it's come a long way. It's not Being a four-time CES Innovation Awards judge is always something that's going to be special to me. So I like going to check out what's going on with the Innovation Awards winners this year.
Our world needs us. It needs all of us to pay attention, to plug in, to commit, to tap into the powerful network of minds, ideas, and possibilities that are gathered right here. Because the stakes are higher than ever. Food insecurity, climate change, access to healthcare. These are the critical issues technology has the power to solve. The kind of tech that is already emerging around us, impacting every industry, every city, and every home. But these aren't just exciting new technologies we're talking about. These are solutions, powerful innovations, and most of all, hope. We're hopeful because the moments we spend right here might be some of the most important moments of the year. This is a chain reaction that begins now and affects everything, from the sustainability of this world to the exploration of others. Yes, the tech we'll see at CES will impress and astound us. It will also motivate us to innovate our way to a healthier, more sustainable world. But this kind of transformation requires our full attention, everything we've got. So be ready, be engaged, be inspired. Be in it. So that about wraps it up from CES 2023 here for AV Nation TV's Connected 50th episode, 5-0. Uh, love to keep going. I'll uh, hopefully uh, get you guys uh, something even more interesting for the 100th episode. Uh, but for now, uh, for everybody at AV Nation TV, I'm David Danto. Thanks very much for watching. We'll see you next time.